Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome everyone to uh, this podcast from the ITAM Review. This is the ITAM Review radio show for mm, sort of December 2020, I suppose. We're recording this uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas. Uh, this is also our 100th podcast episode, not 100th radio show, but our 100th podcast episode. And we're going to have a look back at um, what we did in the first one in a minute. Um, thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for all your support this year in, in following us um, through 2020. We're going to have a chat about 2020 as well, obviously. Um, welcome to our guests today. Um, hi, everybody. Hi, yeah. Hi. How's it going, AJ? Hey, hey AJ. Hi, AJ. We have got today, we've got Stu Pomfret, Danny Begg, Kylie Fowler, Bette Zerbrick, uh, David Foxen, and Matt Smith. Uh, so most of our regulars are on. Uh, you'll notice Martin Thompson is not on. He's got the day off today. So I am now your host. This is my first uh, radio show hosting gig. So bear with if I get anything wrong or I'm more efficient or I'm just boring. <laughs> All those. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone. Um, start, yeah. <laughs> let's start off with some industry news. Um, first up, a couple of weeks ago, um, Salesforce buying Slack. Who would like to have a chat about that? What do you think on that deal? Well, they did, uh, they've got their own UC, haven't they? But um, I don't think it was doing particularly well. Um, Slack's probably one of those big um, contenders for teams. Although, didn't we speak a few weeks ago about them looking at suing microsoft over teams um, yeah we did yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which, so you kind of go it's probably a quite a smart move by by salesforce to, to go and do this um don't blame them at all uh, it's a good acquisition did i think it was worth 43 billion though uh, it was around about that price anyhow it might not be a exact one but i thought damn that's bloody expensive um yeah i think a lot, a lot of those acquisitions a lot of those acquisitions seem really expensive i mean when microsoft bought linkedin you sort of went really mm. that much um i think rich's um, analysis is really good actually on the quick plug for, for the itam review as i'm here <laughs> uh was really interesting about how you know it's it's kind of microsoft are going big on dynamics and and obviously that's a uh threat to salesforce salesforce want to try and link everything together and make it a bigger kind of all encompassing automation communication platform. Mm. That's um, definitely worth checking out. I think there's different views in, in the industry. I mean, some people think it's 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 good and smart, and other people are kind of questioning whether whether they're going to get the value out of it. But I guess there's they've got plenty of money to to, to play around with, so they've probably given it some some thought and yeah. and gone, gone and gone with it. You say the value, though. So $27.7 billion, according to the Financial Times. Where are they going to get that value back? Because that's, that's a lot of zeros. Mm. The thing is, it's not always that. I mean, you find that you know, shareholders, if you haven't bought something for a while and you're just sitting in cash in the bank, sharehold, your share price goes down. Your share price goes down because you're sitting on money. Money in the bank doesn't earn the shareholders anything. So they would prefer you to actually spend that money so they can get dividends 
rather than actually hold on to it. And sometimes a company like Salesforce, you've got cash around, need to buy something just because it keeps stakeholders and shareholders happy. And it's sometimes also about the underlying technology, which I think we discussed the whole TikTok Oracle thing, which who knows whether that's going to happen or not. But I think, you know, after after we'd had the discussion and then, you know, I kept reading on the topic, it, it became clear that actually Oracle wanted the underlying technology of TikTok. It, it didn't particularly want want a load of 90 second videos it was that underlying platform that tiktok had been built on that oracle wanted its mitts on so there's also potentially that but i guess also you know there's a massive community of salesforce developers of um you know product teams and things so maybe and slack of course is 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 very much a communications tool that is deeply embedded within those sorts of development and configuration management communities. So maybe as well, they, there was a sense of potentially a cultural um, synergy going on. I don't know. I'm just. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think for me, it. yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, that's it. It's, it is the underlying glue that they are because they're much more than just being a messaging platform for text messages. No, they are, they are a workflow app, aren't they? They, 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 they move tickets around the organization and get things done so maybe that's part of it as well and maybe actually salesforce are as much looking at service now as microsoft as competitors um, i'm thinking it's it's a, it's a market share type of perspective in hmm. that, that salesforce once has all always wanted to compete with microsoft right and 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 has looked at competing with microsoft and this is just another way to do it they didn't have that that beyond to enter a market beyond which Salesforce currently has, right? Which is that now it's just corporate communications, right? B mm -hmm. B2B internal communications as opposed to external sales driven type uh, type of market share. And in this case, buying Slack puts them squarely, you know, toe to toe with with Microsoft. And and I like where you're going, AJ, with the with the idea about ServiceNow. If they if they acquired ServiceNow, oh lord. Um, <laughs> what kind of behemoth yeah. would they be then? You've got that other thing of, you know, <laughs> did they buy it so that service now wouldn't? Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. would then stretch them even further away. You know, you've got those three big behemoths there that mm. kind of are competing <clears throat> with each other and see an opportunity somewhere and would prefer to buy. I mean, Microsoft have bought things in the past and buried them. Do you know what I mean? Just so that a competitor doesn't get it. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I've um, heard from certain companies that you would suggest are very competitive to Microsoft is that they use Slack um, in, in some ways to avoid using email so they can have a really thin email internally um, uh, and run effectively a lot of their projects and businesses through the various different Slacks. Um, so, yeah, and there's that. Um, I mean, in terms of service now, they've rolled out Virtual Agent, which, is, which seems to be a... Um, uh, a kind of not not probably exactly the same as Slack, but allows you to ask things to be done, not just within ITSM, but across all of the other modules. So maybe they've kind of decided they've got their own kind of some somewhat version of that. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I look at I look at this from um, I spent twenty years in messaging in collaboration tools um, before I became an IT asset manager. And I look at the, the, this is this is nothing new. <laughs> Slack is basically internet relay chat um, and a means of moving things around an organization. I'm just thinking, how that's suddenly worth whatever it is, 27 billion, <laughs> 40 odd billion dollars. It's all been done before. Um, 
and uh, but that's the nature of it isn't it what, what's old is new and uh, eventually um so thank you for that uh, moving on um hot off the press in the last um few days is um some of the first um published research around what SaaS spending has done in 2020 now we've been talking and um assuming throughout 2020 that SaaS spending has gone through the roof because of remote work and so on but um uh, so Zylo, um, SaaS management company, have just uh, published their research. Um, headline figures out of this. Um, SaaS spending across all categories rose 14% year on year. That was from September 19 to September 2020. So pre-pandemic, during, and, uh, and, and continuing. So 14%, 14% increase. What do we think of that? Do you think it, I, was, I looked at that and thought, hmm, It's quite low, I thought. Low. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, in fact, I sent when they sent it to me. I replied by going fourteen percent. We had a global pandemic when Zoom was like the biggest thing in the world for a few months. Are you sure it's only fourteen percent? Um, but well, the other one that um, yeah, you mentioned the fourteen percent. The other one I think would, it'd be good to touch upon is the average number of SaaS apps at six hundred and fifty-one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the way you didn't put the word manage, AJ. But just said maintain. <laughs> I, was, I can't imagine companies manage an average of six hundred and fifty-one applications. <laughs> well, absolutely, because you know that's the long tail, isn't it? That, that's exactly as it is with um, with um, on-prem software. But I, what what it, what that brought home to me was the fact that um, I mean that's a bigger number than I would think that on-prem you, you'd even be be having having deployed, let alone managing. It's a big number, isn't it? Yeah, the difference you... is, sorry, Dave, the difference is your SaaS products are constantly costing you money. Your on-prem long tail can just sit there and, and all it does is, I don't know. Take up nothing. storage space. Well, it takes up storage space and, you know, as it doesn't get upgraded, it, it, there may be vulnerabilities, which you find out in five years' time. But... <laughs> but but also, you... Kylie, also, the, the on-prem stuff, you know the cost of it because... You got the SNS costs and everything like that. Was with the, the the SaaS depends how much you're using that. And it could the actual the uh, the amount of uh, usage could just um, cost could zoom up, couldn't it? Hey, I like what you did there, Matt. Zoom up. But looking at the report, though, if you're a 10,000 plus seat organization, then actually the average number of SaaS apps is nearly 1,500. Wow. Now, if you include that on all of your on-prem stuff data center stuff, everything else that's going on. How on earth is an ITAM team or manager expected to manage that level of apps? Again, it goes back to what Kylie said. It's not managing. They haven't said that they're managing them, have they? Because that's nigh on impossible. Yeah, I can't. I'd love love to see the actual data in that research because, to be frank with you, I don't believe the 1,500. The 600, yeah, I do actually believe. But I actually think that 95 of that 600, is people with their credit cards or people with the, the, a small budget spending 40, 50 quid on a SaaS app. I mean, to, to give you a rough idea, I know plenty of organizations that have got hundreds of applications, hundreds of SaaS applications, where they spend this two licenses at £6.45 yeah. per month for each user. And you're kind of going, it's not even worth playing. It's, it's not even worth actually entertaining it because it's just such a small spend. The ones that have the big spend, such as your Salesforce and your ServiceNow and stuff like that, they are managed. You know, that 5% at the top that's costing you tens of thousands and not millions, that is being managed. 99% of the rest of it, I believe, is probably under 500 quid. Yeah, and it's all about, just yeah, it's all about prioritization, isn't it? As, as with everything within ITEM, you look at 
you know, where you want to spend your time to wreak the biggest impact and the best. I mean, I think if you look at something like the Xylos and, and all of the SaaS management platforms like the Snowflex ServiceNow and all of the other millions of other offerings you get, um, sometimes it's good to just get a view of where the security problems are, where the spend problems are, and then focus on that. If, if as you say, 95% of them are relatively inoffensive, mm. Mm. Then, One of the interesting things I noticed here is not just that the, that small 95%, but in the article, it also mentions that data security SaaS spending spiked 132% mm. over last year. So yep. it's it's more than doubled in just that one segment. Um, web conferencing grew 22% over 2019. Um, and, and that overall, that SaaS purchasing saw a 26% increase in February to April, just in that section of the 2020. Um, but security apps, I mean, data, data security SaaS spending spiking over 132%. That's, that's huge. Yeah. I'm not um, surprised though, because of everything, everyone yeah. working from home and stuff like that, that the, you know, our security has beefed itself up just to ensure that, you know, you've got so many more, um, I'd say, I suppose, data entry points. Do you know what I mean? Well, than 6,000 people in an office where you may have three or four offices with those 6,000 people, you've now got 6,000 breach points. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone's working from home. Yeah. So I, I completely ah. understand that from a security point of view. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, something, if you talk to security professionals on it, um, I sort of follow that world a fair bit. They talk about perimeter, perimeterless security now because yeah. it used to be you were sat on a corporate network inside an office. Uh, and now that's gone. And, and that, yes, there's a whole bunch of tools and solutions coming out to, to cope with this global yeah. shift to re to remote work. Um, now you're on your own home dodgy internet. Isn't that right, Stuart? Uh, where absolutely. you're browsing your personal stuff <laughs> yeah. on a corporate device. Yes, absolutely, yes. I mean, no. Are we, are we recording this? Sorry. <laughs> uh, just on the security, on the security thing, um, I was, uh, something that came out, I think, yesterday was the fact that FireEye got, um, had a very serious uh, alleged nation-state hack. Mm. And a, a friend of mine who's a CISO for a big uh, media outlet was just saying, look, guys, to all the CISO community and the InfoSec community, just don't worry. Just do you, you have to do, keep doing your best because if someone like FireEye can get that level of attack, then imagine that the kind of the stuff that, everyone else is dealing with so um yeah it's a motivational um uh, message from him but um and that's probably why you need these these additional um security uh apps be it sat or whatever because as pe people are looking at opportunities the uh, the dark web crew as i like to call them <laughs> uh looking for opportunities to go oh brilliant let's go and start attacking some obvious targets and see how we get that's why Five is always why. trying to be be, be targeted because you get into Office three six five and you got I don't know what multiple multiple tens of millions of users to to, to get in. But you can understand why because a global pandemic, your focus is shifted elsewhere. Everyone's adapting to where and exactly like Danny said, <clears> you've gone from having three offices with six thousand people to six thousand littler offices. You're trying to make sure that your organisation is still churning over. You're not then thinking hold on, we've got another security impact here. There's some sophisticated hackers out in China or whatever that have developed a new one that actually can hack private networks. It's just the chaos was a perfect opportunity for people to, unfortunately, be naughty. 
Yeah. Other nations are available for balance, David. <laughs> yes, other yes. nations are. We're not the BBC, so I don't think you need to worry too much about that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you know. You look back, um, if you look at Zoom's journey this year, they started off and they they got big really quickly in March. They had a whole bunch the wrong of, Zoom. <laughs> yeah, the wrong exactly. Zoom got really big really quickly. Um, they had a, a whole bunch of security concerns and issues, which they fixed really quickly. Actually, it had a bit of reputational impact. A lot of companies I know have said, oh, you can't use Zoom on a corporate network because um, we see that with our with our events, people saying, please don't use Zoom because we can't use it from work. Yeah. But that's now starting to go away because Zoom have been quite proactive about it. Um, that, that, that mood music is kind of like changing again and everyone's back in, oh, we're just using Zoom because nothing's going to change anytime soon. So th- this is the thing with security. It's, it's, it's constantly moving, isn't it? So um, Interesting that, that Zoom ban is still present in in a fair few organizations which is yeah yeah one of those things it's easy to slap on but somebody actually has to make a decision to slap it off so Mm. or to remove it and um and he's going to be the mug that says yeah i'll make that decision and then something bad happens because of it exactly Mm. yeah yeah can we just go back to danny's point about 95 percent of those uh sas products probably a couple of licenses bought on somebody's credit card and they cost six quid mm. i think that's a really interesting point for asset managers to think about a sense of well what does managed mean mm-hmm. and i think just as um I, I think i think we tend to feel like we have to be really actively managing everything or we're not doing our job but i think from a from a sam perspective what can be a really effective thing to say is work with stakeholders, say procurement, information security, et cetera, to actually say, look, where are we going to draw the threshold of what we're actively managing, what we're actively spending resource on, and where are we going to allow the business, or not allow, but, you know, where, where are we going to say to the business, okay, you've got two licences here costing £6 each, that's fine, do what you like with them. And I, and I think that's something that's quite an alien concept to a lot of people, but it's a really important one to allow us to safely manage this volume of new applications being brought into the organisation. And if you make a decision not to manage something, if you think about it in a skewy sort of way, it is actually managed. Yeah, yeah. You need to know about all 650, but whether you want to do something or whether you just say, actually, I'm quite happy, it's those two in that department, I'm not really going to pay much attention to it because I don't have time for it perfectly that's a perfectly fine strategy to take yeah yeah do everything and like you said the the way xylo works as well as bringing able to pull data from like procurement and financial tools like that 95 percent or whatever you said probably shadow stuff as well right so it's stuff that's just entered someone's like you said put on a credit card charging it back for their expenses but that's how xylo are getting all this information the itam people in these companies may not even know about it don't forget, sometimes these people aren't even charging it back to the company. Yeah. Uh, for example, I am using a piece of SAF software that I pay for myself, but I use at work. Yeah, I, I do the same. Yeah. What, what's the... Tisk, tisk. Why, why would you not charge it back if you're using it for company use? Because you use it for personal as well. Um, I use it for some personal stuff as well. It just makes my life a little bit easier. And if it makes my life easier, great. Because because the six pound fifty it costs is an awful lot oh, less yeah. than the amount of time it would take for you to actually get permission <laughs> Expense from the company it. to use it. Just yeah. the messing around with it, John. Yeah. <laughs> I, I occasionally go back and charge them a whole year's worth, <laughs> but that that's about it. It's like yeah, 
Uh, and admittedly, it is coming up to Christmas, so maybe I should need all my expenses. And time to do oh, that expense report. Yeah. And there was me, literally about to say, "Oh, he's very generous with his time and his money, Danny." And uh, hey, you said that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to until the until <laughs> they put it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I mean, just to close up on that point, Kylie. You're absolutely right. I remember when I was fresh to this job. Or, or, the, or the IT asset management job, I thought, how do I manage all this stuff? And I, I came to, I think it was a BCS event, and someone said, don't try and manage everything. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was it. I thought that was your whole idea. That's what yeah, you're supposed and, to do. Manage everything, absolutely everything. Yeah, and, I, and I went back the next day and said, okay, this is what's in it. This is what I'm going to look at for the next three months. This is my scope. This is all we're focusing on. If I don't focus on something, nothing will get finished. And it was really refreshing. I, so yeah, it was probably the biggest single piece of advice that I got in the first, I think that was week four of my, jo of my job. And I was like, oh, so yeah, absolutely. Go for that. Make sure you set your scope and also make sure that someone signed off on that scope um, that, you know, that, or there's a risk register in place or something because 90% yeah. yeah. of the work AJ, done on each. You've just made all of that BCS organizing so worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> you, you needed to record this video, AJ, <laughs> after, after the hand-on-heart moment from Kylie. <laughs> well, well, you see, of course, of course, the thing was as well, the BCS events were free, whereas if I wanted to come to an iTown review event, I had to pay for it. <laughs> outrageous, mate, outrageous. <laughs> I mean, said that, how annoyed would you have been if you'd got that advice when you were like, 52 weeks in <laughs> ah what did you tell me this after four weeks <laughs> absolutely absolutely so <clears throat> thank you for that that's really good um moving on um so i mentioned at the start of the uh, of the podcast this is our 100th podcast episode um i'm going to share a link on the show notes for this um thank you thank you very much uh, i wasn't around when when we started doing this i mean i was born it's been going now no clap for you then. yeah one podcast per year maybe david wasn't possibly but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> likely um so our, our first ever podcast was um what do you think what do we think we were talking about on the first ever podcast Everyone. Are we meant to pretend that you haven't sent us the link to the first ever podcast so that we <laughs> yes, yes. don't know? I have no idea, mm. AJ. Was it I don't about, the, um, was it about the, the possible growth of SAS as a concept in 13 years' time? No, SAS wasn't around then, Stuart. Oh, What's your mind? No, no, but I was saying people might have thought about it as a concept. And I think it was the evolution years. of software, wasn't it? Uh, the, the pitfalls of clustering. Well, actually, the, yeah. we did touch on that a little bit because it was, unsurprisingly, Oracle. Um, <laughs> so way the, back, the gift that keeps on giving. Our old friends. Yes, the the the, the, the vendor that's that launched a thousand ships. Was well, uh, there a ref, uh, reference about multiplexing back then? Yeah, there was multiplexing in there um, <laughs> through the medium of cake. <laughs> medium I of don't cake. think there was anything to do with cake in there, though. Um, that, that's why that podcast probably failed. Yeah, yeah. How to license <laughs> Snake on a Nokia thirty three ten? Looking at yeah. the picture, of Martin. Martin looks like he's only just started shaving. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the listeners will see this um, if they follow the link. That um, uh, Martin is almost, I'd say, almost unrecognisable. Uh, interestingly, as well, uh, our your other performance guests... review is not coming up soon, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'd say that I'd say that like he's matured like a fine whiskey, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, nice. so, well done. 
Yes. So, yeah, we're talking talking about profile pictures. Um, interestingly, um, so this is way back in December 2013. I was looking at the um, looking at the podcast this morning, and um, two of our guests, uh, Richard and Pierce, um, they're still using the same LinkedIn photo from way back then. <laughs> now, um, wow. Because I just I've just changed mine because um, I currently look like um, probably a cross between Gandalf and um, I don't know maybe a WWE wrestler for Brett and, and, and the Americans. Um, I know who Gandalf is. <laughs> um, I was going to say more of Henry, but okay. of course we all know who Gandalf is. Yeah, yeah he's the bloke in Harry Potter, right? That's yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's kind of like you no. Know, how frequently do you update your LinkedIn fo- profile photos? I just had a look, and I've got to admit, I've my beard isn't anywhere near as white it is now. And considering I'm completely bald, I have hair in that picture, so I'm kind of going, hmm. Maybe I should update my picture. It's been, it's been probably about five or six years since I last updated it. And is it a conscious thing, or or is it that we just don't think, oh, I should do that? Because I, I, I people I just haven't looked at it. I, I, until you mentioned it, I hadn't looked at it for so long. I didn't even know what picture I had on it. Yeah, but yeah. but LinkedIn is just turned, especially over this year, has turned away from being a professional networking site into just a load of noise and nonsense. Mm. Um, I haven't been on LinkedIn for a while now. The only time I go on there is now when Kylie emails me saying, please like or, or share this post or AJ. Don't give it away, Martin. David. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I w- as soon as I need a new client, absolutely I'll be back and updating and all that other rubbish. But in terms of pictures, yeah, I mean, it's funny. There are people in the ITAM world that you don't meet, right? And mm. you're so used to seeing their particular picture because they're in Australia or in India or the other side of the world. And you're so used to seeing the same picture when they message you. And then kind of like Danny, all of a sudden they send you another picture and they've got no hair or they've got a massive beard or their hair's a different colour. You're like, blimey, that's <laughs> you. Yeah. That's that's a bit that's strange. But I I, I like to um I tend to update my picture at least every year just so it's some sort of accurate representation of how ginger my hair is this year. And <laughs> I get mine done professionally. Well put ginger in your hair. Your your picture or your hair? <laughs> good question brett actually this year for everyone considering hairdressers and barbers have been shut so actually <laughs> well that's why i have no hair it was just easier to start shaving my head hey we, 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 you must have seen george clooney confessed that he uses this kind of hair vacuum device to cut his hair and has done for like 15 20 years or so um and unsurprisingly they've sold out ever since um I forget, it's called the Floby, i think Invented by a guy in his garage somewhere in Texas, I think. And um, in like yeah. eight, 1980s or something, it used to be sold on TV here. I can remember as I was well, uh, one of those, a uh, kid. and one of those channels, one of those shopping channels that you, yes, that yes, supposedly yeah. all Americans are sitting in front of as they're eating a, a, a TV dinner. Do you know what I mean? That's literally the representation <laughs> on TV and films, isn't it? That is the saddest thing. Uh, usually, we call them infomercials. They'll come on usually very late at night. There are some dedicated television channels where it's all they show all day is like buy some stupid thing that you're never going to really need or use. And it's like $19.99, and that's all it's ever going to be. Three easy payments or $19.99 and like $1,000 in shipping or something. Do I need to see and- your kitchen? And un- underneath the cupboards to see all of these things. I, I have none of it. I have nothing like that. But I will say occasionally things like the Flowbee, 
will catch on and you'll see them in stores, you know, on, on the shelf. And there will be this big tag on it that says, as seen on TV, right? Um, like, like that's going to... 976. Yeah, that's <laughs> what's going to get you. Do people go and have pictures with, uh, oh, oh, that was in the TV advert. I'll go and get my picture taken with it. Does that happen? I hope not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my Ever God, done that. that thing over there was on telly. <laughs> But they'll um, put this big red badge on it says, as seen on TV, as if that's <laughs> going to make you want to buy it even more. But the Floby deal, I mean, that thing's been around forever. Um, since, I was a, since I was a young kid, I can remember seeing it on television. And, it, and you're right. It's like a set of razors with a guard on it that's attached to a vacuum. And you just sort of suck your hair <laughs> up and it, and it just sort of cuts it, you know, like it sucks it up and lops it off. And I don't know if George Clooney really... Re- does it then god bless him he's braver than me <laughs> definitely joined the wrong podcast today uh, <laughs> a bit of light relief it is 2020 well, you need one don't you dave oh, you're massively. about the only one on the podcast with much hair apart from aj oh it's horrendous so I, the earliest appointment i can get is next weekend as well so it's got another week of this ginger better hope you don't mess. get into t3 well <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're back. We, we, we're um, coming out of isolation lady. again next week. So, yeah, as long as I don't get another track and trace or another coronavirus test, then all good. Or, like, they might just do a Danny. Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah, just shave your head, mate. It's a damn sight easier. And, and that's, that's quite a nice segue into 2020. Wow. How was that for you? Um, <laughs> shall, shall, shall we go around and, and, and have a, just a, a reflection? I, I, perhaps I'll start just to kind of give the format. But... I look back to January, February, and we had all sorts of plans for this year. And this is in terms of the ITAM review. We, we kind of knew what we were going to focus on. We had our plan. We had our revenue plan. And then come March, it was like, do we even have a business left um, mm. at the end of this? Because um, you know, obviously we, we run in-person events. We haven't run an in-person event now since Australia. When was that? November 2019. Yeah. Um, we probably won't be back to in-person events um, for most of 2020, 2021. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess our experience was the same on a small scale for a relatively small organization um, as it is for the larger ones. You know, we, we had to swap around and do online events, which have been very well received. Thank you to our audience um, for that. I know you've got a lot of um, benefit out of the um, platform that we use for um, our online conferences. Um, and we've kind of managed to get most of that experience of, of um the conference experience uh, there for you. Of course, we're still missing seeing you in person and we can't wait to get back to um, doing that next year, hopefully. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we, we've changed. We've posted, but actually we've grown as a team this year, which is, um, which is pretty amazing. We've got uh, three new people this year. Um, and, you know, as a result, it's, it's turned out to be relatively positive. I'm wondering whether that's because ITAM is more needed. What has everyone else seen about in terms of, workload and inquiries and, and, and the importance of ITAM. Oh, I'll go first then, if no one's putting the hand up. Um, look, I, I was going to talk a lot about uh, how 2020 has kind of affected my job, um, but I'm actually going to talk about it in a slightly more positive way. Is Look, I, I used to work from home a lot before I had kids, and then when I had kids, I ended up going to the office more or less every day. And the great thing about... Um, about COVID is now I work from home uh, like I used to before. But actually, I'm working at home with my kids. 
So I get to see my kids now as soon as they come home from school. I get to see my kids in the morning. I get to take them to school uh, a awful lot more. I get to pick them up from school. I get to do a lot more of the things that I want to do all around my family. And that has been absolutely priceless. Uh, it's, it's put a, a little bit more strain and pressure on because in some ways, you know, you're living out of each other's pockets. But would I want to go back to working in the office again full time? absolutely not you know uh, i am loving the ability of being able to spend more time with my kids and i want to do that much more often that flexibility has been great the only downside of all of this is the effect it's had on children you know they're not being able to go out mingle with friends play during the, the, the summer holidays this year and all of those types of things and i suppose being able to be home has enabled us to at least be able to spend that time with our kids to kind of make that a little bit easier for them but I, I actually do really worry about the, the children of, the, of this generation, what a year's worth of not being able to interact with people is going to have on their mental stability going forward over 21 and 22. So I do worry about that. But yeah, you know, there has been some very positive things that have actually come out of it. Mm. Yeah, I think I echo Danny's one, especially on the kids front, because I think I worked out, I saw my son on average maybe about an hour a day because he would be awake when I left for work, but his bedtime would either be just as I'm getting home from work or like a few minutes afterwards. So it's gone from only seeing him that much to like Danny said, you know, I see him all the time. You know, he comes into my office. I see him at lunchtime after work straight away before, etc. That has been immense for me. And I, you know, speaking to my fiance about it as well, I cannot see going back into an office full time. That just, seems like an alien concept to me what well, i have to get trained for an hour mm-hmm. i then have to sit in an office for eight nine hours get another train for that like why when i can just do it all from home and be far more productive and actually see my family and have a personal life as well but on the flip side as well on the item front i was actually quite worried when covid first hit because i thought oh no you know if people are going into lockdown people are going to not um want you know non-essential um skill sets etc etc and I was, I was a bit panicked but it's gone the complete opposite way it's gone mad for ham um you know obviously people went um working from home really quickly there was a whole snatch and grab we got to get whatever we can send it home oh no i have no idea where the stuff is anymore i haven't got any processes in place with being audited on the hardware side of things uh, and also on the SaaS front it's gone huge and a lot it, my, my fears have been kind of eased because the, the you know the demand for ITAM is is has escalated. And I was talking to Kylie about this beforehand, and you know she saw a similar experience in the with the crash in two thousand eight um, and even earlier. But Kylie, I'm actually going to throw this to you because it was your your um, your idea. But you also don't think that we've actually seen the initial brunt and demand for ITAM, do you? No, I I sort of just recall from the financial crash that it took. A few months it sort of probably took about nine months to a year before audits really escalated but also i i feel like this time around as well we're going to have a lot more work to reduce SaaS costs and op- operating operation costs mm. really reduce that operating business cost because it's that's going to you know that's what keeps businesses alive if you run out of cash and your operating costs are too high that's when companies go into admin so i think you know we need to be working hard on two fronts really the compliance stuff and defending audits. But the audits, I mean, I know there's actually been a lot of audit activity already, but I think the audits are really going to come when the vendors start feeling the pain of reduced revenues. And, of course, the reduced revenues come after the the reaction to the cost pressures. So, you know, I I was saying to David, actually, I I was made redundant in July 2009, so it was pretty much 
nine months after the crash, the 2008 crash. And I immediately got a job, another job. And it was a couple of rungs up the ladder and it was because of audit pressures. So, mm. Mm. yeah. So, so it's looking, you think that that demand's coming in 21, it will be, uh, and I, I kind of agree, sort of April, May, June, when all those contracts come up for renewal that were taken out in haste. Um, yeah. 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 I would agree. I mean, <clears throat> from my perspective, at the beginning of the year, I was, whilst I was doing an element of ITAM within the role, it was uh, it was a software sales job as well. Um, and that was quite busy, as you'd imagine. <laughs> um, as people, as you say, from it, obviously I didn't get involved in the hardware side, but that was, and the challenge on the hardware side was supply. Um, demand was outstripping supply and, and also there was a problem with, I think there was a chip manufacturer uh, issue, which also was... was and that was prevalent. Mother Nature, wasn't it? In China, I think one of the factories or something got hit by some bad weather and yeah, manufacturing slowed. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great yeah, time so that, that was. So that was already in play and there were lots of, um, you know, all the big manufacturers were saying, oh, sorry about this. Um, and, uh, you know, some people were changing the chipset, but obviously not quick enough. And that was already in play from a hardware perspective, plus in the increased demand. But and and you know, speaking to a couple of the guys that the vendors I deal with, Snow and Flexera, you know, they they were talking about um, a real downturn in demand around March, Marchish onwards for a little while because people were uh, mobilising their operations in the way they needed to, which was getting devices sending people home, increasing VPN, increasing their kind of remote access, Citrix, all that kind of stuff. Um, so for almost those three months where where I I was seeing a lot of demand on, on the, you know, software side to try and get people operational, um, that was their focus. Hmm. And I'd probably echo your thoughts on that, Kylie, in, in terms of that is still, it's, it's kind of stabilised, but I don't think... They've really gone. Oh right, okay. Where's all that stuff gone? Then do we know where it is? And and do we even have a strategy to to look at that and and all all that kind of stuff? So so for me, obviously, as of uh, September, changed jobs and 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 back into a full fully ITAM role. Um and yeah, demand is there. There's 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 still a few people going. Oh, actually, can we just talk about this next year? And and there's other pressures, but you know, pretty much to a, a man or a woman, everyone is. We need to reduce costs. Mm. Strong ROI, soft savings, great, nice to have. Hard savings, what I want. And so I think um, that's that's kind of where I think that part of the market is. And then, as you say, audits are going to be be prevalent. They've kind of given some stuff away for nothing for a bit. They've seen it. They've kept their powder dry to a bit. And you know, but everyone everyone's expecting this to go up. And I know. I know you guys, the ITEM review done some research on audits and stuff, and that's mm. actually, it feels like maybe there'll be more instigation by the account team rather than the audit team initially to try and coach people to say, oh, by the way, can we have a little chat <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the inevitable uh, sledgehammer will probably end up being thrown at some point. So, Steve, from a customer point of view, do you think we're now out of the quick and dirty, get it sorted uh, phase and in the more sort of like established, going back and making sure we did 
dot the I's and cross the T's and everything's in place? Um, I th- yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the challenge in March was really about we need our business to operate. Now, obviously, certain businesses have just completely shut down. Um, you know, the Sydney world have obviously ceased for, for now. A lot of the pubs and restaurants have had a real constraint in trade. But for the people in like financial services and, and logistics and things like where there is demand and need for the business to operate, there was a case of we need to make this thing working in the office work as efficiently if we can within those as those of those sort of six thousand little little offices. Um they got that done. Um and I think by now they know that they can operate in those two different models. Mm. Um they're now looking unfortunately at things like um you know headcount reductions and cost optimization and things like that. So I th- I think um I don't see a huge amount of that having said that I haven't been in, in that game, so to speak, for three or four months, but certainly it didn't seem to be, the demand didn't seem to be maintaining in that type of, not panic, mm. some would call it panic buying, others would call it, well, we just need to get things r- running. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think we're probably in a, and people need to understand that they need to at least review whether there is a cleanup operation or execute a cleanup operation. If they don't think they've got anything to clean up, then, then they're the ones that are going to probably fall foul of, of audit challenges or operational cost challenges later on. Yeah. Cool. Um, Brett, how about you? What's your perspective from uh, over there in the state? You know, I, I will, to kind of key off of some of the things that were said earlier, I don't, I think my company's going to have a very hard time getting me to go back into the office, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, you know, I, I could give up a, a full on room and have my big 55 inch TV and a window and my nice desk and, and comfortable and, you know, 50 steps from my house, or I can go sit in that little tiny cubicle and, and drive myself nuts. And I don't know if I want to do that. Right. I like having that flexibility. And I love the fact that, you know, I can go downstairs in the morning and see my six kids and go down there at lunch and see my six kids. Um, and go down there at dinner and see my six kids. Um, I love love the family. I love having the family and being close to them. And at the same time, I'm more efficient. I get more things done for work, right? By working from home. Um, in the broader sense, from the SaaS perspective, from ITAM, from that ITAM angle, um, you guys have all hit the nail on the head, right? Soft savings are great. Hard savings is what you know everybody's after right now. Um, you know the actual dollars saved versus cost avoidance, right? Um, and and I've we've found some areas where that's 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 not so hard to do, and in other areas, especially in the SaaS front, you know that that is a growing uh, area of focus, right? To key off of some of the things we said earlier. Um, management of all things SaaS isn't necessarily the goal. Visibility into SaaS is more valuable from my perspective than, than, than having to actually manage everything. Right. Um, you know, there's no sense in wasting or spinning your spinning your wheels and wasting your time trying to manage those five subscriptions for that one app that that one group runs. I don't care as long as I know it's there. Right. Mm-hmm. Let them do it. Um, those 500 subscriptions over here, maybe health, you know, a little bit more concerning. I, I might get involved a little more deeply. Um, but it, you know, it's that ninety-five versus five. Where's the risk and where's the cost, and how can we how can we better 
control both, right? From a from an ITAM perspective, um, uh, on the on the ITAM side of the house. But you know, overall, I think uh, you know I'm, I'm extremely happy and blessed to to be one of the the folks that that hasn't been horribly impacted by the pandemic, either medically or financially via, you know, uh, uh, a loss of a job, right? A lot of people have have, have had those difficulties. And so, you know, I recognize the, that, that 2020 has been easy on, on, on me and my direct family compared to a lot of folks. Um, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that, that, you know, so far we've been able to skate by, uh, pretty, pretty easily. Um, luckily, Right, because it could have been very different. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. We, we've we've kind of got through relatively unscathed. We, we were, I was working from home anyway, um, and uh, it's been not too much for change, really. Um, a bit more time, um, a bit less travel, um, which has actually been quite good. Um, but I am missing it. I, I didn't believe I'd ever miss looking forward to sitting on a plane for twenty four hours to go to Australia. But I am missing going through airports, which is. Um, interesting to say the least whether I'll want to go through an airport again under COVID restrictions is another matter but um, uh, yeah um, it's I think our repositories out of everything I think we should probably uh, move on to job of the week Uh, this is quite an interesting one Um, so um, this is an enterprise asset and config manager at QBE so QBE they're um, financial services insurance is that right I think in the in the UK, um, and this one is um, primarily around. This is a, this is a pretty, a pretty senior role, um, looking at building the operating model for um, uh, asset and config management. So, um, I'm going to suggest possibly Kylie. <laughs> I was yes. Jump off. <laughs> Well, I've, I, well, actually, Danny knows a lot about this as well. Um, I think it's really interesting. It is a genuine. It looks like a genuinely combined configuration management and and asset management role. Mm. Um, and and I think that's really common when you've got ServiceNow in the mix, which they mm. clearly do. They mentioned ServiceNow, so yeah, ServiceNow's <clears throat> all over this one, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Hey, so, yeah, I think that, that's I think. I think ServiceNow are enabling asset management, conflict management to be drawn closer together because ServiceNow has such an impact in terms of investment for the platform that mm. it, it almost forces process enablement, process optimization, automation in, into that field, which I think is really, really positive. No, I agree. Absolutely, actually. And and the other thing I think which is really nice is that it's forcing organisations to think about what their configuration management system strategy is. A lot of software asset managers somehow get lumped with being responsible for producing accurate data, which is fine if if it's nobody else's job. But once you start implementing something like ServiceNow, and you've got a CMD, a configuration management database that then connects to a load of other tools, then it becomes madness for the software asset manager to be accountable and responsible for maintaining all that accurate configuration data because all that you're really using it for is software asset management 
Whereas once you get it in your IT service management tool and it's integrated with a load of other different tool sets, you get so much more use out of it for your organization. So service mapping, UPMX, exactly. there's loads of things that are actually really good and useful information for both Ham and for Sam that actually you can bring it all together. The, the so biggest this, problem. Go on, Danny. I was only going to say the biggest, the biggest problem I saw with this is it's such a huge role. It's yeah. actually the, the first line of it should have been said to build a team to deliver this. Yeah. Because exactly that is an impossible job. That is a huge job. And one of the things I noticed on it is it, it is very ServiceNow heavy, but it doesn't refer to uh, ServiceNow's common service data model, um, which is, is you know, paramount with regard to running config management within ServiceNow. So we have uh, my team includes a SAM, a ham and a configuration manager. We have a guy dedicated to this and, and he, we, we also use ServiceNow and he lives within ServiceNow's common service data model. He's chugging along constantly uh, trying to teach uh, the organization around what CSDM is, how, how SACM works, the whole, the whole shebang, if you will, from a, from a corporate and organizational change management and, and just education perspective. And, this this job is massive. If one guy or or gal is going to have to step up to fill a ham sam and config management role, uh, God bless them. And it's not really clear <laughs> if it's a global role. QBE is a is a big global organization, so it'd be interesting. I think if you're thinking about this role and having a chat with anybody about it, to understand what that means in terms of where you sit within that big global organisation. I mean, there's some really interesting stuff in here. Experience working with an Asylum framework, experience of new ways of working, Agile, DevOps, Cloud. There's just, it, it, it's, it's ama an amazing role, but... Is it a wish list? Not one. Yeah, well, that's true. So, and actually, it, I have to laugh. The first line, Nick, you will need to display the following qualifications and experience. First line, ITIL V3 expert, preferably ITIL 4 Foundation. Well, anyone who's done ITIL 4 knows that SACCOM is no longer a role in ITIL. It's been split. It's now uh, IT Asset Management and Configuration Management. Plus the rest of the qualifications in it, Gailey, aren't exactly small qualifications either. You know, no. that that's basically, you know, it goes on about, you know, designing technical interfaces and stuff like that. So yeah. are you wanting a manager? Are you wanting a technical person? Yeah. You know, Sorry, you just don't get that in absolutely everyone. No. You know, and although some of us here can do multiple parts of that role, yeah, probably even all the bits of the role, not yeah. as one person. There's no way I'd go and apply for something like this, not without it being a team. If Barry was here, he'd be asking, is there a degree required? There is no degree requirement. <laughs> oh, the, <job's> <laughs> no, no. the one week he doesn't turn The up. one week yeah. he's not here, and there's he... a, a job that doesn't need a degree. Yeah. Um, I think the only time-based thing is five years leading a um, SACM discipline, um, data model development and so on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they recognize that this is not something you're going to learn in university because it didn't even exist when you went to university. <laughs> um, I think my takeaway from this, I mean, it's really interesting because uh, I know we've got a lot of ServiceNow folk uh, users in the room, and this is almost like a tool driving a job, it feels like to me. Uh -huh. You've got yeah. the platform, and ServiceNow brings together CMDB and this central data model, and that then enables this kind of job to exist. I, to a certain extent, I think you're right, but there's also a load of framework stuff 
Design, develop, implement fit for purpose policies, processes, standards for both asset and configuration management, working in conjunction with global process owners. Design the organisational model. So, you know, Danny and I were talking about that extensively a couple of months ago, weren't we, to support full implementation of SACM. So it's a, it's an interesting one, and and you're right, and I think actually you it, the person who can do this job as written does not exist. Uh, I was going to say that the same thing. <laughs> it's like they don't exist. But to be honest with you, it is a dream job because it's all of the things that actually you want. Mm. It's all the things you want to do, but um, they're just trying to boil it into one person, and mm. you kind of go, "Do you know what? I'd love to lead a team that's doing all of those things." You know, yeah, really this would. is five people. You know, if you want to do this well, it. you need that's this is, this is five people with dedicated yeah. uh, expertise, right? The idea that someone has deep technical experience working with discovery tools, including ServiceNow's Discovery, SCCM, Qualys, and vCenter, and they're a hardware asset manager, and they're a software asset manager, <laughs> and they're a configuration manager, uh, in five years of experience. Really? Well, that's true as well. Yeah. Uh, you've learned. You are the you are the greatest learner ever. You, well, the salary will be quite a commanding one. <laughs> yeah, because I'm the only figures. one in the world that can do it all. I'll have. I was. I grand. knew it. Stuart's like, oh, I've got this. It's cool. Six hundred grand. I can blag it up to a point, but not. I wouldn't last long in the role. <laughs> you need a seven figure. You need a seven figure salary in order to pay the other people that you yeah, have to employ true, yeah. in order to do the bloody role. So you know. Yeah. To outsource all those roles. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> unsurprisingly it was it was posted five days ago, and you still got a chance to be be among the first twenty five applicants. So, um, okay, on that then. You know, <laughs> I'll <laughs> let you know if I need your help, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'll well, up to you guys. It, it doesn't tell you what the uh, the salary is, though, does it? No, of they, course. Quite happily kept that it, one out, haven't they? Yeah. Actually, I noticed at the very top. Uh, so I'm looking at it on Glassdoor, uh, and it actually shows up a 66 to 91,000 uh, euros. Ooh. It looks like euros, pounds. pounds. I don't, I don't know what that symbol is. It looks like a lowercase <laughs> f with a little line at the bottom. I can't yeah. tell you. It's not a dollar. <laughs> it's not a dollar. <laughs> so that's know. what I know. That's all I know. Poor cool. dummy. <laughs> me. Well, we are coming to the end of uh, of this podcast. Um, Thank you, everyone, for participating today. Thank you for making it relatively easy for me to have my first ever podcast uh, radio show thing where I've hosted. I think we kind of got through it without too much swearing. I think you did well, AJ. Wrong. So we thank you very much. You like. um, thank you all for your support this year uh, and into next year and so on. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, happy new year, healthy new year more than anything. Um, and thank you all to all our listeners as well. Um, we'll see you on the other side of... 2020 thank you very much i think we all want to say thank you to you guys at itam reviewing that you know for the stuff that you've actually put out through the year because as much as kids and that have kept us sane uh the the communication and the conversations with you guys has kept us sane as well so so i thought that was the whatsapp group that kept us sane and the gambling and the gambling that's uh that's it had to go on Allegedly, yeah. Any claims made by Danny Beg are not factual. Allegedly. <laughs> Thank you very much, Matt and, and everyone. Yeah, it's it's been quite a quite a year in terms of producing content and um, getting stuff done and putting conferences on. We've we've kind of got stumbling to the end of the um, the year. It's a bit like a scene that that credit scene at the end of um, the first Avengers movie where they're all sat around eating um, well, what I would call doner kebab. Yeah. Um, which I think it's called shawarma. 
Uh, they're all sat around in this kind of this cafe is falling apart around them. They just sat there staring at each other. Uh, that's kind of what it's been like. But um, it's <laughs> awesome. so um, <laughs> thank you all, everyone. Thanks, guys. Have a great. Cheers, guys. Cheers. See you next Cheers. year. Bye. Merry Christmas, Bye. everybody.